Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. This is Brian. This is behind the scenes with Brian, and today I'm joined by Justin Walls. Justin, how are you today? Good, thanks, Brian. Good to chat. Yeah, you too. And where are you today, Justin? Uh, as as you might hear, I don't have an accent, and that's because I'm from South Africa, mm-hmm. Johannesburg. No, okay, okay. I spent four years in Johannesburg from '99 to 2003, and I know. Right, okay. I know nobody actually lives in Johannesburg. So what part of the city do you live in? Which part do I live in? Uh, yeah. Sort of the slightly northern part of the city. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nice, yeah, nice when, and central. Yeah. When we were there, we lived in Rivonia, Paltha, yes. Peter, Peterville. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. No, not too far from there. Yeah. And I happened to drive past that area. Oh, just over a year ago, and I hardly recognized it. There's been so much growth. Yep, especially the the big office buildings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, Justin, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your your background and your education? Yeah, sure. Uh, I uh, wasn't quite sure what to study. I went along <clears> to a, an open day one afternoon at a university, and I was sort of wondering, you know, is it, is it architecture? Is it engineering? But well, let's go listen into the the civil engineering uh, pitch, mm-hmm. and listen to the pitch. Sounds quite interesting. And then when they took us around the laboratories there, saw that they had a, a scale model of a, a water dam, and mm-hmm. they were analyzing whatever it was through with the spillway. Okay. And that was sort of the instant I knew I'd be signing up for civil engineering, and carried on the tour. They said, yeah. Ah, yes, but we have yeah. this the sort of sub-branch of civil engineering that's environmental engineering. Listen mm-hmm. to that, went, wow, that's really what I want to do. So they okay. applied and got accepted to huh. study environmental engineering uh, at, at University of Witwatersrand, or WITS. Mm-hmm. Uh, studied there, got my degree, and uh, one of the requirements is to do some vacation work. So okay. I reached out yeah. to an extended family connection said, may I do some vacation work? You've got a company that's got environmental engineering in the title of it. So that's <laughs> probably a pretty good place to start. Yeah. Sure. Happy to take on students. And then that was at Matago Environmental Engineers. Oh, yeah, yeah. I so did my va- vacation work there. And, yeah. Um, started vacation work and then found out that they mainly focused on tailings. Yeah. Don't even know what, didn't even know what tailings was at the time. So then yeah. during VAC work, find out what a tailings dam was. And uh, during VAC work, I don't think I broke too much stuff or didn't seem too dishonest. So they said, well, would you like a bursary? Yes, that'd be great. (laughs) So then uh, got a bursary. I can't say no to that. uh, I just have to to make you pause here. So was that with Gordon McPhail? No, he'd already left. He was in Australia um, by then. How about about Steve Fanica? 
Yeah, Stephanie Cook was there. Steve Dorman, Alistair James. Um, yeah, they were the main ones there. Okay, yeah, I worked with Stephanie Kirk at the Night Peace Hold in Ravonia. Yes, 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 yes. That's where he was great. prior to. Yeah, great guy. Joining Matago there. Uh, okay. So then I uh, went back to university for third year. This, mm. By then I had a bursary in hand. Great, feeling pretty good about myself now. Yeah. So carried on my studies, and so each time I had a chance to do vac work, I went back there, did my vac work. Um, the one trend seemed to be though that whoever my my mentor was didn't stick around for very long. Oh no! After the first back work that I did, uh, yeah. went back to get it signed, and she sort of said, "Well, actually, I'm moving on." Oh, okay, mm. well, all right, it happens. Did my second um, back work period there, and during that time, the mentor resigned. Whoa, <laughs> two from two. It's a bit rough. Mm. Third time did back work. He he lasted out my back work at least, and then a first year of my work and then he went off so wow okay now i've hmm. three for three so okay. then i um i think then they decided well let's let's give him a a director of the company so that was alistair james let's hmm. see what happens there and yep. um alistair stuck around but i suppose when you were the sort of one of the founders of the company um <laughs> you're unlikely to jump ship from just a little graduate yeah. or a yeah. back student there so a lot of my projects um most of the work with Alistair um, during the time there. So then um, a few years into working there, it was bought out by SLR Consulting. Yeah. Uh, so from sort of my post-grad, well, from, from the time I graduated um, to the time I left there was just over 12 years. Uh, so during that time, I designed and constructed four tailings dams, sure. um, three different, spread across three different countries and two commodities. And I really enjoyed the design side of it, project management side, the um, the building, the dams, uh, big yeah. construction projects. But I just felt like it it, it hit me after the one project that it uh, we'd been to, it was a greenfield site, nothing there, and suddenly the definition of success at the end was that we were going to cover hundreds of hectares in in mine waste. Mm. So it just started to twitch a little bit. They said, "Hold on." Yeah. I signed yeah. up to environmental engineering. Um, I thought I'd make things cleaner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cover it in waste. So then I started to wonder what I could do to to, to shift gears slightly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, just sort of around about that time, I started to sign up for my masters. I did a masters uh, focusing on the water side of it. Okay. And mm -hmm. as part of that, it was a it was mainly hydrological bit of a hydraulic focus, uh, modeling flow through a catchment and through a wetland. Did that and I thought, well, maybe this can open some doors with moving into the water side of things. Mm -hmm. so a little bit of experience there. Uh, and then I moved on. I worked at uh, Golden Associates for okay. just over a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And during that time, uh, I did some wetland rehabilitation part of the mine closure team there and found it really, really interesting. Okay. Okay. Good for you. Uh, very, very fulfilling. Um, there, so it's linked to the coal mines, South Africa. Yeah. And, uh, then I moved on to SRK consulting. I've been there almost exactly three years. Um, mm. so focusing on, I, I do the mine closure there, uh, the, and we're sort of calling it the mine closure engineering side of it because yeah. SRK already has a very strong um, history in mine closure. Yeah. So I see myself as a recovering tailings engineer that now I close <laughs> the tailings dams instead of making okay. 
covered the new ones. But it yeah. but it help, it helps to know a lot about Sailing Dam engineering to be able to close them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. And what? Uh, tell me about one of your projects, and it can be really generic. You don't uh, name names, but what's a maybe even typical closure project for you? Well, with the uh, the advent of the GISTM or uh, Global Industry Standard on Tailings Management, there's a much mm -hmm. bigger focus on closure. Now yeah. that um, for those in the industry, GISTM is a fairly common term acronym thrown around. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's it's following it's, it's really a series of tailings failures around the world, with the, mm -hmm. the Brumadinho one in Brazil really being the catalyst for the industry deciding we need to do better. Yeah. So as part of the GISTM, uh, it's split into a number of principles, and I would say the majority of them I haven't counted. Um, include the phrase including closure. So mm. you need to do X, Y, Z for all the phases, da, 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 whether it's investigation, design, operation, including closure. Yeah. So closure features very prominently in the GISTM. Yeah. As part of that, um, a, a number of the large clients, I think already a, a, large, a lot of the large mining houses were already aware and, and had closure plans, closure designs in place. But this really put forward that they need to think about it in more detail. Mm, so what yep. GISTM also calls for is a pre-feasibility level closure design uh, that needs to be available as early as completion of the detailed design. So before anything wow. even exists yeah. physically, you need to have a pre-feasibility closure design in place. So part of the work that, that we're focusing on is providing input into the detailed design of facilities, mm -hmm, take account mm -hmm. of closure before they've even turned a sod of earth. Yeah. And then there are also a number of facilities that are either operating. Uh, there's one that, that did a study during operations quite proactively. Okay. And then there's some others that are already in care and maintenance. And it's a case of, well, now we need a pre-feasibility -fe pre closure design. Now, the one part I really like about closure is that it's very multidisciplinary. And I think that's also fairly uh, fairly easy to say about tailing exams in general. Mm -hmm. While there's obviously a very big geotechnical focus, uh, water plays a big role. Hydraulics, yeah. hydrology, yeah. there's the overall design, obviously the, the road or pavement design in there there's just the scheduling and, and planning on the construction side there's a certain structural elements in there so i like that multidisciplinary thinking and it doesn't even just extend to civil engineering uh, it, it goes beyond that so then we need to integrate with a number of other specialists so for example we would need to have discussions with the clients about uh, the what do you want to use the land for at the end what are the existing expectations? What are your legal commitments? What's in your permits? What have you already agreed to do? Yeah. Because when we look at the closure hierarchy of, as such for a facility, we said, well, number one, it has to be physically stable. Not much good focusing on the other stuff if it's not going right. to stay there. Right. And the other challenge with, with being physically stable is, well, how long does it have to be physically stable for? Is it for 
five years, 10 years, 100 years, 300 years, 1,000 years, 10,000 years? Where are we going with this? this that design life is, post-closure design life is quite tricky. Right. Uh, secondly, second priority, be chemically stable. That's fine if it stays there, but if it's leaching horrible metals and acids and whatever else into the ground or blowing toxic dust everywhere, that doesn't really help. Great, it's there, but maybe you don't want it to stay there. Right. And then the third priority is to ideally try to find a productive post-closure land use. Now, whether that's returning it to the natural environment and blending it in and, and having a natural flora and fauna there, or trying to think perhaps a little bit out the box and find something that can add value to the area. Could it be for energy generation? There's some right. very good examples in, in Australia and around the world where they've done that with quite great success. Uh, success yeah. really yeah solar panels or whatever the case yeah. is uh yeah. in general mine closure planning there's some good examples of then using pits as uh for hydropower schemes mm. so if we can get to that yeah. point wow then you've really done yeah a, a great yeah. job so with taking all of that into account we have these discussions and we obviously look at the geotechnical stability of it uh quite often these facilities need a buttress you go and look at the quite stringent and conservative requirements. That's the best practice or, or, or the, the GISTM there. So then you now need to think how you're going to integrate this quite massive rock buttress in there, even if they, uh, and, and if there's rock available in the area to even construct such a, such a buttress. Uh, as part of physical stability, one aspect may be to prevent overtopping of the facility. So where's water going to go? Are you going to continue to use the penstock system or the, the pumping system to get water off the top? Try evaporate water off, try attenuate it, try dome it so it's free draining. Um, then if, uh, because if there's a, an overtopping event, that could lead to physical instability in itself. Um, but to a sort of almost a secondary degree, if, if the erosion is excessive, you are either going to destroy your cover on the outside, your beautiful cover with all the vegetation, rock cover, whatever the case is, or potentially even uh, expose the waste underneath. Now, if it's a uh, fairly inert weight, inert waste, it's not so serious. But if you're dealing with something like gold, coal, platinum, uh, uranium rather, not platinum, platinum's lot better um you're in for trouble so then it's it's erosion modeling uh, but to inform the erosion modeling you need to understand uh, the hydraulics the hydrology and as part of that you can't really just take the recent uh, rainfall history you need to think of climate change but then climate change to me is a bit of a dark art almost it's oh, one of those so. that yeah. If, if you asked 100 people to model it, you'd probably end up with 200 answers as such. And yeah. from my understanding of the uh, climate change models and, 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 and specialists, is there's generally consensus on the models and, and what's likely to be for the next 80 to 100 years. Yeah. So uh, when you're looking at now, you're suddenly in the year 2100. 1120 odd yeah yeah but then if you have to try design facility for closure that has to last 
300 years, 500 years, 1,000 years, whatever the case is, like I mentioned earlier, uh, it's a lot more tricky. So what is your design storm event? Uh, how does that change over, over time? So from an erosion perspective, what storm events do you actually use? What rainfall, synthetic rainfall series do you actually use to have some confidence in your erosion modeling to inform your cover design? Also your vegetation selection. As part of that, even if you get the same amount of mean annual precipitation 200 years from now, is it in the same form that it currently is? Because if right. now it's spread over a six month period, softer rain, the odd thunderstorm here and there, with, with climate change, it becomes a lot more intense. And then that same amount of rainfall falls in the space of a few weeks. It's very different with the erosion. It's very different with the type of vegetation that you can sustain there. Uh, also then if it's, if it's drier and hotter, that means that the, the vegetation is going to either need to adapt or have a bit of a vegetation succession plan in there. Mm -hmm. So with that, you do the best you can to say, well, we've taken account of this. There we go with uh, the, the best estimates for their best practice is this, that's the range, do some sensitivity analyses uh, in there. Uh, so, but part of it is to try build in a certain degree of redundancy so that you don't just rely on a single component, a single aspect, a single design parameter in there mm -hmm. to hopefully achieve the long-term sustainability or uh, uh, resilience yeah. in there. Because if you say we're going to pin all our hopes on a single spillway, and now we've done all the modeling and you've built this extremely expensive spillway, especially if it's cut into tailings and it needs to be uh, properly designed and anchored and supported right. and yep. think account of all the things like differential settlement along the way. And then you find out that you were, again, the storms get more intense. So in 50 years from now, that's not even vaguely big enough. And then you still end up with overtopping or things just hydraulically failing or structurally failing mm -hmm. yeah so Dustin, do you use a lot of risk-based uh, assessments in your closure designs for certain components yes yes mm -hmm. but not for not for everything so for something like a pre-feasibility level design yeah i don't think you necessarily need to be exactly accurate on it um yeah. well here's the range for pre-feasibility level, we, we're fairly confident that if we pitch it at that number with the generally accepted ranges that, that come with the, with the costing and the, accuracy, the, the accuracies and hence the cons, costings, I think we're okay. Mm, okay. So with, okay. with the closure designs that I've been involved in, they've either been feeding into detailed designs or they've been at pre-feasibility level. Mm -hmm. uh, there was one project that we were working on at pre-feasibility level that we'd actually been appointed to go through all the way to bankable feasibility. Okay. But at the time we completed the pre-feasibility scope, our recommendation was to, to put it on hold for the time being because of the number of unknowns in there. Yeah. Sort of explained to the client that we can keep going. That's fine. We'll gladly get paid to do more work, but right. Right. we just do not feel that it's the best use of, of uh, their money 
to go for it now when there are certain question marks around your technical parameters and uh, stakeholder buy-in and what vegetation to use, et cetera, for it. So that one ended up um, getting uh, put on hold for the time being because of that large degree of uncertainty in there. So I, th I think probably the main place we, uh, we we take account of it and with the sensitivity analyses and, and, and risk is is mainly in the the hydrological and climate side but to a certain extent it, it's also taken into account uh, as part of the planning when we do the post-closure uh, land use workshops and the post-closure risk assessments in there but that's that's more um, people sitting around a table signing risks than, than anything else okay yeah yeah so Dustin when I lived and worked in, it was a little more than 20 years ago now so things may have changed quite a bit but there was some hesitation from the owner's side to develop closure plans for tailings facilities because most tailings facilities remind for one reason or another uh, you, you may not own all of the commodity that's in your tailings. Maybe somebody else owns the phosphorus and you own the copper or something like that. Or there's better processes for gold recovery that can paint. So do you still see that tendency at all? Or is that pretty much taking a back seat now? Well, I, I think it depends. There's a wide range of views on that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the cheapest and easiest thing to do is to say, oh, well, we're going to put it in care and maintenance. Yeah. And because we've, we've, we expect to find uh, more of the commodity underground, we expect yeah. to yeah. find uh, the, the price increasing to the extent that it is worth reopening the mine or, or remining the tailings dam that's there. Uh, having said that, there is quite a lot of hydraulic remining happening in South Africa. So a lot of the gold tailings dams, um, well, quite a few have been remined. Uh, some are then being put onto centralized facilities. And yep. uh, then sometimes they are able to get other, uh, not, not the primary commodity out, maybe a secondary one. And that to the extent that potentially even funds the remining project funds the the new tailing exam that's built and then those ones you can provide more um, closure influence on as such well how do we do this better now yeah. and also generally the product going out there is cleaner because they've taken out more of the the nasties True. out of there True. so I, I but then yeah. having said that the the mine is then still responsible for that footprint that they remind so we're in discussions with the mine at the moment to do some uh, closure design work for the footprint oh, once yeah. it has yeah. been remined. Yeah. yeah. So that's obviously a lot easier from a, a stability perspective because well, it can't really fall down if it's ground level. Right. But having said that, then you really see what's what's under the footprint and are there any contaminants um, that are moving into the ground? How do you cap that and, and properly shape it for it? Yeah. 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 Yeah, interesting. Oh, it's uh, challenges are good for engineers, I think. Yeah, and there's one. Uh, there's a one of our our, our gurus in SRK in the tailings industry, and I forget the exact wording, 
but he feels that the real uh, innovation comes at sort of the edges of disciplines that you really push yourself and you really have to then think um, or interact with other specialists, other disciplines, and then you come up with something completely different because it's not, well, I've done this 10 times before, so the 11th time I'll optimize, I'll improve it. Wait a minute, this is completely different. Let's see how we can do this. It's sort of almost from first principles, then that you yeah. have to go about it. I think SRK is a big company, huge worldwide, but how many people do you have in uh, Johannesburg that work for SRK? Uh, I think in the Johannesburg building, it's in the region of uh, 300 people or so. Um, well, that's at least what the building can, can house, but the SRK has moved to very much the hybrid working model. Oh, okay. okay. Post-COVID. Yeah. So some people still come in five days a week. Mm -hmm. um we we generally uh the the business unit that i'm in is generally three days a week okay. um the art business unit is is in less often That's, yeah 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 the, the pandemic did teach us quite a bit that you don't have to have a office or cubicle for everybody you have like a shared office or cubicle arrangement for people in and out of the office or does everybody have their own place to sit no pretty much everybody has a, a seat to sit at um yeah yeah we uh, the, the business unit that i'm in mm -hmm. is known as ngo but not three letters n g o it's mm -hmm. e n g e o uh, which okay. is a a mix or combination of the words engineering uh, yeah and or environment rather yeah there um so with with us we're actually the biz, biggest business unit in srk globally so we're um we're, we're now sitting in the in the 60s um, for our just our business unit number of okay. our staff members um but everybody still pretty much has their own seat as such although with 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 our recent employees um there's a little bit more hot desking going yeah. around there yeah, right, right. Okay. Do you find that uh, Southern Africa is graduating enough engineers to fill the positions that you are trying to fill? Probably not, because the added challenge that we have is um, several people are immigrating. Yeah. So there's what there's called... Uh, I forget the exact phrase, but something like the the missing middle band mm. for it, and it's basically people in their forties in, yeah. the, in the tailings industry. It's there's a very much a shortage of that age group um, for it. So yeah, not not sure about the exact age group, but I'm pretty sure that's a global phenomenon. Yeah, so there's, there's lots of opportunity to come up in the tailings industry. It's not like you have to wait for sort of ten people ahead of you. Yeah, to yeah. retire, to 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 move up. Um, if, if if you prove your worth, it's pretty easy to move up the the career ladder mm -hmm. um, for it. And I, and I find that SRK has been extremely supportive of that, um, moving up and and being supportive of um, your age doesn't define where you are. Oh, okay, such. okay. Your capabilities yeah. and experience there. Yeah, good. good. Okay. Justin, we talked about quite a few things. Was there something you wanted to talk about that we haven't gotten to? 
Well, the one part that 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 really interests me is when we're trying to decide how we close the tailings dam and look at mine closure in general. And if you pro approach it purely from a, a civil engineering perspective, well, I've been taught this about channels and I've been taught that about geotechnical parameters and, 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 and how to do stability modeling. It's what water does. These are what the structural components do. That's how do we do this to make it last as long as possible. Is it a case of using stronger concrete or wider channels, whatever the case is. However, we as, as an engineering industry, we don't have a very long period of, of R&D as such, talking mm -hmm. a few hundred years. Okay, yes, the Romans yeah. did it extremely well, and, and maybe yeah. some of their aqueducts and, and roads, probably about the best examples of civil engineering structures really lasting. Right. But uh, more than that, well, let's take one step back. Nature's been doing it for, uh, depending on which ecosystem or area or component, um, if nature's had whatever the case is, whichever timeline you talk about, geological timelines or 3.8 billion years of, of R&D, then maybe we should step back and look how nature does it. Mm, so yeah, yeah, should the outer slope of a tailings dam, should it have benches? Should it be a constant slope? Wait a minute, that, that hill over there, that's pretty stable. That doesn't have much right. erosion coming off it. But I've got a bit of an S-curve on it there. Yeah. Maybe we should do that. Yeah. Uh, let's look at how nature does it with, instead of trying to get the water off as quickly as possible, let's try use the water or attenuate it. Or, now, that's a bit of a challenge on the tailings dam. I'm not saying you necessarily want to allow the water to infiltrate on the top surface. It's just really feel the number of engineer records switching there. Uh, but can we do it differently? Yeah. You know, well, I mean, you get these these rocky streams that 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 last. Can we look to do that instead of relying on dirty MPA concrete mm -hmm. for it? Mm -hmm. Say yeah. uh, the other um, sort of tongue-in-cheek feeling that someone else has passed and it's okay as well. With erosion, everything's tending towards the ocean anyway. Yeah. So, how long do we have to resist that for? Again, is it is it thousands of years, ten thousand years? So yeah. at, at some point, roughly, everything's going to end up in the ocean. But obviously, you don't want it to go down at a Brumadinho rate. You don't want it to pollute or uh, result in any loss of life or degradation of the environment. So can you do it at a rate that's acceptable that doesn't uh, really mess everything up? So as part of that that nature thing, as a uh, we've heard about it before, but there's a biomimicry and that's about it, it's not so much learning about nature but learning from nature um in, in how nature does things so that's another one of my 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 interests there um yeah so for me it's it's more well instead of looking at the civil engineering textbook or what's what's been the best proven method over the last 50 100 years well mm -hmm. let's look outside of that yeah how does nature do it yeah yeah, no, it's. I think that's. Uh, it's a great idea. It's a. There, there's no better analog than exactly around and yeah. seeing what exists um, in in your region specifically. Exactly, yeah. because that has evolved over time. Whether that's yeah. the vegetation species there, 
whether that's the geometry of the side slopes, uh, whatever the case is, bearing in mind that a tailings dam is in itself a novel ecosystem. Yeah. So you, you can't exactly copy and paste from the hill slope next to yeah. it, but why not right. learn some lessons from it? Yeah, 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 very wise. Well, Justin, I appreciate you coming on and uh, getting me up to date on what you're up to and, and what's going on in your world. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been great. Sorry, this has been coming for, oh, I think it was about five months ago. And, 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 and due to not being able to align schedules, mainly mine, um, it's yeah. taken this long to finally chat. Well, no, it's been, it's been great. And I appreciate you coming on and spending some time with me. No, it's been I, fun. Yeah, I know. I know it's late in the evening there, so I won't keep you any longer. But uh, once again, thanks a lot. And uh, maybe we'll catch up someday. Yeah, happy to do so. Great. Thanks All a lot, right. Brian. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, Justin. Ciao. Cheers. Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rockin'.